Hey Hope Church, I hope that you guys are doing well, wherever you guys are tuning in or worshiping from. Uh, I hope that you guys are doing okay. I hope you guys are staying safe and staying sane. These are some crazy times that we're living in. And before we start digging into anything, I just wanted to take some time out to, to say that if you're experiencing any form of racism, racism isn't just a one-way street. Uh, it can go any way possible, but if you feel like you're experiencing any form of it, uh, please do reach out to one of the leaders. Reach out to me. I'd love to pray with you guys. And for the rest of us, we need to be praying for one another and really uh, contending to see justice being restored. That day will come when Jesus returns, but it has not come yet. And so until then, let's be praying, let's be watchful, and let's grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so right now, I believe that it's such a great time for us during quarantine to examine our hearts and reflect and ask God, God, is this worship that I'm bringing you, is the things that's inside of my heart, the substance of worship in my heart, is that pleasing to you? So we're going to start digging into that today. But before we get any further, I just wanted to share an experience that I had with you guys. And it's this, if you're like me and several other thousands of Americans and people around the world, you are probably spending a lot of time Googling and looking up things that you probably don't even need. Uh, let me give you guys an example. I'm going to put my brother on blast a little bit. Um, I love him, but uh, as many of you guys know, he loves sneakers. He loves his Nikes. He loves his Jordans. Haven has nicer shoes than I do. I'm a man of simple, simple taste. I like my Birkenstocks. I like all white shoes, but my brother, he loves his shoes. And he asked me several weeks ago to download this app called StockX. And the reason why he asked me to download it was because he was having some problems with his account. And so I was looking into it with him and trying to find different ways to make this work. And so I downloaded the app, I signed up and I was looking through what StockX was. And I started browsing down and I saw some prices and some shoes that make my jaw drop. Let me share one of them with you guys. This pair of shoes is called the, jo I'm sorry, it's called the Jordan 1 OG Chicago 1985. It's even hard to get out in a single breath. The lowest ask for these shoes are $71,309. $71,000, not seventy-one. dollars hundred even, even though that's crazy, 71,000. The last sale of these shoes was several years ago and somebody paid $5,800 for a pair of shoes. That's crazy to me because the last time I bought a pair of shoes, it was the Birkenstocks Essentials Arizona Slide Sandals, not even made out of cork, it was made out of plastic, it's all black. And right now it costs $44.99. $44.99. The last purchase that I made with these shoes was $39.95. So there's a very stark difference in the prices and the taste that my brother and I clearly have for shoes, right? So that got me thinking a little bit, what are some other expensive things that people are probably browsing at right now? And so uh, one of the things that I like are watches, even though I'm not wearing one right now, but I Googled some of the most expensive watches in the world. And here's one that I found, it's called Patek Philippe. These brands are really just a niche market for some of the most richest and famous people around the world. I found a watch made by Patek Philippe that costs, are you ready for this? $953,750 for one watch. That's how much it costs for one watch. That's a lot more than our student loans combined, probably in our church, right? 
And then I found a really, really cheap version of that watch. It's made by Casio. And that watch costs $10.69. What a difference price and manufacturing can make, right? But it is a market of supply and demand. And so there is a supply wherever there is a demand, right? And so I started thinking about this. And as I was studying scripture about what God meant for us to worship God, the term worship really just means giving worth unto something. And I think what God was defining as worship in our hearts was, are we giving him the worth that he deserves? This is what worth means uh, according to the dictionary. I Googled it, of course, and it says the value equivalent to that of someone or something under consideration, the level at which someone or something deserves to be valued or rated. So I started thinking about this a little bit more. And one of the favorite holidays and pastimes of America is Black Friday. The reason why Black Friday is such a popular holiday and family tradition is because people go out to go pay for things that are marked a lot lower than what they are valued at. And so the human condition is this, that we love to pay less for what we get, but we get what a lot more than what we paid for. And in Christianity, giving is such an essential part of our faith. And I know it's a really touchy subject, but this is what it says in Luke chapter 21, verses one through four. Then Jesus looked up and as, as he watched the rich placing their gifts into the temple offering boxes, he also saw a poor widow put in two small coins. He said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others, for out of their wealth they have contributed money that they could easily spare. But she, out of her poverty, has given all she had to live on. If we look a little bit more about what the woman gave, the, the, the actual term is two lepta. And that is one sixty-fourth of a day's wage, which basically means she gave $2. And even the $2 that she gave unto the Lord was everything that she had to live on. Now, if you're telling me that I have $2 to live on for the day, I might get two bottles of water from 7-Eleven, the 7-Eleven kind and not the expensive Fiji water kind. The $2, two bottles of water for $2 could be the only thing that I live off of. And this is what the woman gave as an offering unto the Lord. And Jesus saw that and said that was worth a lot more than any of the gifts that anyone else had to bring in. And so that leads me to the first main point of today's sermon, which is that God is looking at your heart and he's not looking at your wallet, and he's not looking at your pockets. He really cares about what's inside of our hearts. And so today, and wherever you guys are worshiping from, I think it's a really valuable thing to do to spend time with the Lord and ask him to examine our hearts and see what are we bringing to the Lord in our hearts. And that leads me to my second main point, which is this, that the correct posture in worship, the correct substance that we're looking for in our hearts is this substance called humility. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus says, Also to some who are relying on their own righteousness and looking down on everyone else, he told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed to himself, saying this, O oh God, I think that I am, or I thank you, God, that I am not like the rest of humanity, not greedy, not dishonest, immoral, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
I pay tithes on my entire income, but the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes toward heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner that I am. And Jesus says this, that I tell you, this man who this man went down to his home right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus says this, that those who are humble are the ones that are going to be right with God. And so uh, there's a key here at the beginning of the passage where it says this, that some were relying on their own righteousness and looking down on everyone else. And that is not the correct posture. That is a posture of pride. That is a posture where we are comparing ourselves to others and actually puffing ourselves up as a result of it. And Jesus is saying, this is not the correct heart posture. The correct heart posture for God is always to have humility in our hearts. And so I want to challenge you, Hope Church, to examine our hearts as well and say, God, as I stand before you, is there humility in my hearts? Is there even a reliance on myself to make things happen? Because that is also a form of pride. But are we really coming to the Lord saying that I need you? I need your forgiveness. I need your power in my life. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want to challenge you because this has been a challenge for me as well. That I want to be in a position where I am receiving grace from God because there's humility in my heart. And the third point of today is this, that uh, this may be a little bit sensitive and touchy, but I'm going to talk about it in a way where I hope that you guys get the heart behind the message that in Christianity, we are not the consumer. We've talked a lot about just buying different things and different things in the market and the things that are in our hearts and things like that. But I think in America, we often come to church, and Pastor Q's touched on this a lot, where we come to church and we examine the different programs that are going on. We give an analysis of how worship is going or how the preacher is doing. And I think in a way, we can fall into the trap in America where we believe that in church, we are the consumer. Because we pay our tithes and our offerings, we can often get a little bit... Uh, we, we can feel like we want more than what we are putting in. And I want to tell you guys that we are not the consumer in Christianity. And if we actually think about it, God is the one who paid for us. And so in essence, if we're going to flip this around, we can say that God is the consumer. We don't get to go to church and say, these are the things that I want from God, because God is the one who purchased us. And what he wants back is the currency that's in our hearts. And so in a lot of ways, church, I want us to be clear that we are not the ones who are paying for anything. God has purchased us with his very blood. So let's recap some of the things that we talked about. The first main point is this, that God is not looking at your pockets. He's looking at what's inside of your heart. The second main point is that what he wants to find in your heart is humility and not pride, not a self-reliance, not a comparison where we look down on other people, but a humility in our hearts and a cry that says, God, we need you. And the third point was this, that uh, we are not consumers in Christianity. We are not the ones who buy anything. We're not the ones who get to determine what we get or what we don't. As a matter of fact, we're the ones who's been purchased. God has purchased us with his blood. And uh those are the three main things of maintaining a worshipful heart. And these are the three things where if we get, if we spend time examining our hearts and really being honest and dealing with these things, out of our hearts should come thanksgiving, should come adoration, 
and true worship where we tell God how awesome he is. And here's what it does. When we realize that God has purchased us and that we are not the consumers in church, it does a couple things. And the first is this. Uh, it helps us to be liberated from the thoughts of wondering if whether or not we're ever going to bring anything that can measure up to God. I know a lot of people, even for myself, I grew up thinking, man, will God, God ever accept me for who I am? Or will God ever accept any worship that I can bring? And if we understand that God is the one who purchased us, that liberates us from that kind of thinking. And it goes back to sonship because I remember thinking about this um, when I was babysitting Haven one day and she took a dry erasable marker and I was trying to keep her occupied because we had different things going on and she took a dry erasable marker and just started drawing some things and I was trying to show her how to really draw because apparently I know how to make some good art pieces but I don't but uh, she started taking it and she just started drawing some lines and circles all over the board and it didn't really look like anything but yet to me that was such a wonderful thing that she did and I think a lot of times when we come to God and worship, we tend to measure what kind of sacrifices or what kind of gifts we're bringing to God and wondering whether or not God would be pleased with it. But I want to tell you guys that God is a good father. And no matter what we bring, he is not disappointed in the things that we bring to him because he's already paid for it. He's paid for our hearts. And that is what he's looking for. And the second thing that this does for us when we realize that God is the consumer and he purchased us, it does this. It gives us our value back. It reminds us that we were purchased not by money, not by currency. We were purchased by his very blood. And that gives us a royal identity. That gives us an identity that doesn't shake or it doesn't give us an identity that's determined by our LinkedIn profile or our resume. Our identity isn't determined by what our friends say about us. Our identity is rooted on the fact that Jesus loved me enough to die on the cross and my relationship with the Father has been restored. It says in the scripture that the joy that was set before Jesus was the reason why he endured the cross. And that joy is our hearts. And that's what it does. When we understand that God purchased us with his son's blood, it gives us our identity and our value back. Several years ago, I went to Life Impact. Shout out to Lana. I love you, Lana, and I love everything that you're doing. Um, but I went with a team to Thailand, to Life Impact International. And there was a moment where um, my neck was hurting, but I remember I had to give a seminar on worship. So I mustered up all my strength. My neck was still in a lot of pain, but I was like, you know what? I'm only here once. I'm going to go give the seminar. So I go to this group of students in Life Impacts, these are all rescued people from human trafficking. So these are all children who have been um, pulled out physically, in a literal sense, from darkness and slavery. And they are all gathered in this worship center. And I came in and I was supposed to give a teaching on worship. So I did exactly that. There were several sessions and I gave several teachings on what worship is. And I wanted to give them a heart of singing spontaneously and singing songs and writing new songs to God. And so I gave these seminars day to day. And I remember at the end of it, there was a part of me where I was like, I hope I gave something to them. And in the last night, their worship team started leading worship and they started singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. And I was wrecked. I was weeping because that song had a totally different meaning from how I'm used to singing about it. 
for me, I'm used to singing about it in a worshipful sense, but in a sense that uh, being a slave is a spiritual thing. It's not a literal thing. And yet these kids who've been rescued from human trafficking started worshiping God in a way where it was not just a spiritual meaning, it was a literal meaning, where they were no longer slaves, but they were children of God. And that's when it hit that that's what worship is. Worship is not whether or not we're singing good songs. Worship is not whether we get to gather together on a Sunday. Worship is about our hearts, and it's the heart posture of humility because we've been redeemed. Worship comes from a place in our hearts where we understand that our lives and our hearts have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and Jesus' blood was spilled on behalf of us. That's what true worship is. So what are some practical ways to walk out and worship and have a heart posture that's filled with humility and gratitude for what God has done? Well, the first thing is this. Uh, in the book of Habakkuk, it opens up with a lot of complaining from Habakkuk, and rightly so. He's seeing a lot of unrighteousness abound. He's seeing a lot of lawlessness, and he's seeing a lot of people being taken advantage of, people being oppressed. And so chapter one of Habakkuk, he's complaining and asking the Lord, like, how long is it going to be before you restore our nation, before you restore things that are wrong? He can't see what God is doing. And in chapter two, God starts to show Habakkuk things that God is doing rather than things that Habakkuk is seeing. And then in chapter 3, Habakkuk starts worshiping God and giving thanks because he's beginning to see what God is doing. Well, that's the exact same thing that I want to challenge us to do. Before we start anything in the day, before I even start my work or before I eat lunch or anything like that, anytime I get a minute to take a break, I have to intentionally put on hope-filled glasses to see what God is doing versus what he's not. And it's so tempting in this day and age to look at the media and see all these notifications of the things that are going wrong, right? Especially now. Well, now is the right time to ask the Lord, God, what are you doing in my life? God, what are you doing all around the world? And take time and wait upon the Lord for him to show you what it is he is doing. And for sure, I know for certain that our hearts will be transformed and we will begin to see worship come out of our hearts out of an overflow of the goodness of God. So that is the first thing. The second thing is this, that uh, I want to challenge you guys to give thanksgiving unto the Lord before you do anything else. Just to thank him because you have seen some of the things he's done and you have experienced the goodness of God in your past. Begin to thank him for things that he's already done. Uh, I can go back and remember how God saved me from the pit of just depression and where I was just so confused and broken in college. And I remember, and anytime I remember how God saved me, my heart is so filled with thanksgiving and I can give out thanksgiving to him again. And then I have confidence that I can even give him thanksgiving for things that he hasn't done yet. Things that I know that I'm praying for, I can thank him in advance because I know it's gonna happen. So that's the second thing, to give him thanksgiving in all that we do. And the third point is this, singing to the Lord. It's commanded throughout scripture that we are called to sing to the Lord. It says to sing to him and worship him with instruments, with a new song, to have songs of praise and thanksgiving. But one thing is for certain through all of it, that we are called to sing. We are commanded to sing to the Lord. And I believe that sometimes it's the easiest way for us to get into the place where our hearts are worshipful. There's a phrase from one of my favorite worship leaders, Laura Hackett Park, and she says this, that sometimes we are supposed to sing our way into the truth. 
And so I believe that we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to sing our way until our hearts are worshipful. I love going to Daniel and Gloria Lee's house because Eliana, when we go, sometimes we tell her to sing Reza Hallelujah, and she sings it, and it sounds so genuine, and it does something to me. It messes me up. And I want to challenge you, church, to sing with your children, sing with your brother, sing with your sister, worship the Lord together. And sometimes we might not even feel it until the first song or two goes by, but after it does, I can promise you that it aligns our hearts with God. It aligns our spirits to be thankful. It aligns our spirits to be, to be worshipful and to see him rightly for everything that he is. And the last thing I want to leave with you guys is this. I know I've mentioned this at Hope Church before, but when we worship, it does something not just to us, but to the people around us. In the book of Acts, Silas and Paul, when they're imprisoned and in physical chains, they start worshiping God with psalms, with hymns, and they're singing all these songs. And the next thing they know, the prison doors are shaking, the chains are falling off, and people around them are getting set free. Well, church, I believe that's the same for us today. We are called to worship, and it does something to our chains. It loosens our chains and brings us into a place of freedom, but it will also do that to your family members. It will also do that to the people that you are regularly interacting with. So I believe that these are the ways that we can walk these things out practically. So I want to bless you guys at home and with your families. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we have. I pray that we would be filled with songs and filled with melodies from heaven. I pray that worship would arise in our families and with each other. And I pray that you would be loved well and glorified in our homes. In Jesus' name.